Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's Iron Sharpens Iron. Here's today's message with Pastor Brandon, The Roots of Anger. What I thought we would address is a big thing that's happening to a lot of people, um, things that are happening to probably you, it's happening to me, uh, because of the way the world's getting. And a lot of anger is coming out in a lot of people because they do not like the way things are going. And uh, they hate to see what's happening to our country. They hate to see what's happening in politics. And they hate to see what's happening in the church. And particularly, they hate to see that uh, what other Christians are saying about them or doing to them. I'll give you an example. Um, every, it's like almost every week I get a new name. Okay? And Alan, Alan Berryman was telling me, hey, he was with some people at Chevron, and they say, what church you go to? And, and they go, Rock Harbor, and he says, and they go, oh, that's that wacko pastor over there, right? Um, so I got the new name, Wacko. So, um, and of course, and course, Alan asked them, do you even listen to them? Well, no. Well, how do you know he's wacko if you don't listen to him? So that can make you angry. But um, you got to know how to deal with that in these days ahead. Yeah, so this is the, the wacko lights, I guess you want to call them. You're right, Bill. So, you know, that's the thing that you're seeing is you're seeing um, not only pushback from society saying we're crazy and this and that. You start seeing uh, Laodicean believers coming against you. And it's, it's causing people to have a lot of anger, no doubt about it. You're losing things. You're losing rights. You're, look, I mean, if you're not angry about gas prices, I don't know what's wrong with you, man. Um, that, should, that should light you up, seeing the gas prices and then the food prices. I went to uh, a restaurant the other day, and this is what they're doing. Have you checked this out? Not only are they raising prices, the portions are smaller. So I used to get a salad, uh, a Southwestern chicken salad, whatever, and that thing was loaded, man. And it come, I get back to, it's like a side salad now. And it's the same price. I'm like, dude, that's it. I'm done. But I get what's happening. It makes me angry. So the issue then, how do we handle it? Um, and anger is not, the, the way you handle anger is not counting to 10 and taking a walk outside until you cool off. That really doesn't get at the real core of anger. And so one of the things you want, you want to know about going into this crazy world that we're in is, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to deal with all of this, particularly anger. So the thing about anger is there's roots to it. There's deep, deep roots. And you got to get to the root of it to get the anger out. Um, and, and, and rest assured, there is times when you need to be angry. There are a, a righteous indignation that Scripture calls so you should be angry at the same thing God's, God is angry at. He's angry at sin. He's angry at evil. He's angry at abortion. He's angry at sodomy. He's angry about that, those sins. And you should be angry as well. So there's, there's right things to hate and, there, uh, and, and be angry about. And then there's wrong things. So let's get down to the bottom of this. Let's check it out real quick. When you see a pattern of anger in your life, okay, and it goes beyond normal, right? That, and, and what do you mean by beyond normal? Like someone slights you, someone cuts you off on the road and you, yeah, you're gonna be ticked off at like at level one, but you go to the nth degree, okay? And if you notice that you're going to the nth degree, that you're overreacting to things that are irritations, there's something going on there. It's probably a root. So the first thing you gotta do is eliminate several things. 
Is it because I'm on drugs or some type of medication or something like that, right? That's making me irritable. You can be on prescription medications that actually make you ir- irritable. Uh, do you have clinical depression? Uh, is there any mental illness, certain medications, head injuries, hormones, illness, or stress, okay? So the first thing you gotta do is eliminate the medical. And, and people that say, hey, Brandon, I'm having a pattern of anger. I'm, I, I can't get this out of me. The first thing I tell them to do in counseling is you you we've got to talk to a doctor. We've got to see what's going on medically with you to eliminate that first before we go to the spiritual. So if it's none of that going on, then it's a spiritual issue. And that's where we have to dig in to the root level and not cut off branches. Cutting off branches means I'm going to stay calm. I'm not going to get excited. Uh, I'm going to remove myself from the situations that make me angry. Okay, that's fine and dandy, but that never gets to the root. You're just cutting branches off. So you, you want to get to what are, what's really happening to me. Okay. The overarching issue about anger is injustice. That's at the core of why we get angry. Now, here's the thing. This can go both ways. In a good way, when we see injustice, the reason God gave us the emotion of anger is the ability to protect against the injustice, to fight against the injustice, and and, and to save that which is valuable. So there's a good reason God gave us anger. Well, what the devil does is he uses that good anger and he, he... turns it to be used for bad, okay? So it's always centered on injustice. Now, let me put the caveat on this. It's either something that's real or it's perceived by you, okay? And and, and either way, whether it's real or perceived, it's real to you if it's perceived. Now, if it's misperceived, that's where someone needs to talk to you and explain to you, yeah, you're really not seeing what really happened there and, and you have to get the truth out of that. But let's say most of what you've uh, endured is real injustice, okay? So I want you to think about your, your, your growing up days, your high school days, your 20s, your 30s, 40s, and on through. All of us in this room have suffer, suffered injustice by, by people, that's who it's going to be done by, by the people of this world, okay? They're going to sin against you. And, and depending on how, how deep that was, how much pain they inflicted on you, is the degree of anger you will have inside your soul, okay? That's where it's really at. It's over injustice, real or perceived. Okay, the injustice that's good or sorry, that's bad, that needs to be confronted with a good anger is what Jesus did, obviously, in the temple. He did it twice, the beginning of his ministry and and the second time towards the end. And the money changers, he drove them out. Now, why why, why did he do this? It wasn't wrong to have the money changers in the temple. Everyone had to do that because you traveled from a long way. You didn't actually carry your land with you. So if you're traveling from a long way, you would go there and exchange in your shekels for, to buy a lamb. And that was perfectly accept, uh, allowed, acceptable. What was not acceptable is that they were extorting the people with super high prices. Just like your gas, 
right? Okay, they were, they were charging ex, exorbitant rates, and that's what Jesus got mad about, that that's not right that you're taking advantage of people. So he drove them out. That is a righteous anger, and he had every reason to do it, and it was appropriate. That's how anger is supposed to be used. And he was guarding the temple of his father, basically, what he said. Okay, so that's a good thing. So Ephesians 4.26 will say, be angry and do not sin. Notice the command, be angry. It's actually telling you that you should have a righteous indignation towards sin, evil, and wickedness, right? You should have, if what I'm seeing in Christian churches is the Christians don't have a righteous anger. They're not mad about anything. They're not mad about watching their churches get hijacked by by wokeism. They're not mad about our country being taken over by Marxists and communists. And I can't figure out for the life of me what's going on with them. See, when you're a Christian, you gotta love the right things and hate the right thing, uh, the wrong things. You know what I mean? You, you, so you should hate watching and be angry about what you're seeing in our country. That should anger you, okay? But there's a right way to funnel that anger. So he says, be angry, have a righteous indignation about evil, sin, and wickedness, but don't sin in how you handle it. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. And that doesn't mean, that's a Jewish idiom. It doesn't mean that uh, before you go to bed, you gotta get all your anger out. It means whatever you're angry about, you need to resolve the issue quickly. Because if you don't, it can turn into sin. Okay, and resolving the issue quickly, I'll show you in just a bit. But look in verse 27, we talk about the devil getting a foothold into people's lives. He adds on to this, and nor give place or foothold to the devil. And so this is a general term, but it's coming on the heels of anger. So one of the easiest ways that Satan can get a foothold in your life is through anger. He can control you through anger and make you do really bad things through that anger. And that's what we don't want happening. We don't want people taking revenge and retaliating and all that. We want people to defend their rights, defend the, the, uh, uh, the principles of the Bible, but you are not to take vengeance. And that's the key of anger is Satan will drive you to seek vengeance on things. Okay. Look at Hebrews 12. Let's get to the root of this problem. It says this in Hebrews 12, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Now, what is he talking about here? What he is saying is this, that the things that you're going through in life, the bad things that you've went through, he calls it the disciplining hand of God, that God has allowed things to happen in your life. And the first thing you have to understand is that when you are going through very tough times and people are sinning against you and doing bad things to you, that you must appropriate God's grace in order to handle it. Because if you don't appropriate God's grace, you will become defiled. Now, what is, how, do you, how do you appropriate God's grace? Well, he go, if you backtrack in Hebrews chapter four, he says this. 
Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So in practicality, it means this. I'm having people do bad things to me, whether that's Nancy Pelosi or it's somebody in my family, okay? They're doing bad things to me. I must go before the throne and I can boldly go because I come in the authority and name of the Messiah and I go before him and I ask, Father, in the name of your son, I ask for grace and mercy and help in this time of need. And he promises by that that he will. And you'll use the tools he gives you. He'll use the resources he gives you. And you can make it through it by his grace and mercy. Okay. But here's the problem. Most of the stuff that happened to me happened before I knew this. I know now how to handle when people sin against me. But I didn't know when I was a kid. I didn't know when I was a teenager, and I, I, I sure didn't know in my early 20s how to deal with people doing bad things to me. So I did not appropriate grace, and hence roots of bitterness and anger started inside of me. And I can vouch for that, and maybe you can vouch for that in your own life, because I just simply didn't know the tools God had available. I wasn't even a believer I didn't become a believer until I was 19. So I don't know how to handle when people do bad to me. The only thing I know from a worldly standpoint, you do bad to me, I'm gonna seek revenge. I'm gonna go after you. I'm gonna find a way to get back at you or whatever it might be. That's how the world handles their anger, okay? So we got a problem. We got a problem with what is inside of us from the past, and the, the scripture calls it a root of bitterness, or you could have several roots inside of you that's creating anger in you, that, that when your wife does something that really, you know, you didn't like, but it, man, it sets you off to like level 10. You're like, dude, Brandon, calm down, man. What's, what's wrong with you? It's because there's a root inside of you. Someone's hitting at the root level. Okay. Obviously, there are biblical characters that had the same problem. Moses is one of them. Moses tends to have a root of bitterness. It seems to be throughout his, his career in ministry. Moses is a great guy. You can't get better than Moses, but they're human. David's human, even Moses is human, and his fault was anger. And you could rest assured the complaints that came in, he had had enough, right? That's why he struck the rock twice. But how could have Moses handled that better? He could have afforded himself the grace and mercy that God would have given him, and he could have handled it. But instead, he took anger, he took matters into his own hands and struck the rock twice out of anger towards the people. And that was, that's what kept them out of the promised land. So anger, if Satan uses it against you, can take away temporal blessings from you because you will hurt others and yourself through it. Now, the ultimate in anger is Cain. 
And you know what Cain ended up doing. His anger turned into murder, right? That's why Jesus said, if you're angry with your brother and you call him a fool without reason, notice the caveat he put on there, without reason. You can call someone a fool if they're a fool. You can call someone an idiot and stupid if they really are. Jesus says you can't call them that without cause. So that would be racha, fool, or stupid or idiot. That's the same connotation. If you call people that with hatred in your heart, he says you've committed murder. Murder in your heart starts there with anger towards other people. And it led to the murder of, of Abel with Cain. Okay. The destructive patterns of anger are such resentment, bitterness, unforgiveness, not being honest with ourselves, critical of others. You ever been around somebody that they're constantly critical of others or they constantly complain about their environment? It's anger. There's no grace they give. There's no mercy for other people. It's black and white in the way they deal with people. You're either good or you're bad. I, I talk to some guys sometimes that are, are, are around a lot of bad people and they see a lot of bad people. And unfortunately, it turns them to having more of a black and white mentality instead of seeing any grace and mercy in it. And so everybody gets broad brushed as bad. Um, and, and so you gotta be careful because that's from anger. That's from resentment, black and white mentalities. Excessive complaining, lash out at others, explode. Uh, they hurt the ones we love and, lo- and they lose fellowship with God and others. So there's a lot of destructive behavioral patterns from anger, obviously. Okay, so here's some road rage, which is a major problem for people, right? Because road rage, you think, okay, they're getting mad on, at, at each other because of what's happening on the road. But for someone to get out of their car and start fighting, tells me as a counselor, there's something going on in the individual that's deeper than being cut off on the road. And you can see all these road rages, right? Uh, this lady had enough road rage to pull a gun on the guy. He, I think he learned his lesson. God bless her. What? It's not correct. What is it? Oh, and she got it? Oh, perfect. Amen. God bless her. Here's another thing. Right in the middle of traffic. Here's another one. In the middle, look at the traffic behind. They don't care. They don't care. There's these guys at the gas station. Everybody's walking around or, or, or looking at them. I don't know. Now, understand that rage and anger has no, no, no time limits. You think, well, these are young people that can't control themselves. No, watch this.
So there you go. It knows no limits, man. These guys are bouncing around with each other like, just like, oh my goodness. Anyway, whatever it is, anger is triggered by injustice of what people do to us, real or perceived. That's where it comes from. And the pain will be worse if it's someone that was close to us that did it. And they stabbed us in the back. And that's where real roots of anger come from, okay? Someone very close to us, someone we thought loved us, someone we thought were supposed to love us and have our back did something bad against us. And that's where it starts happening. Why is it so painful? Because someone you trust did something to you. And here's what the devil will do. He will twist it, not only with the pain that someone did, you will accept it as rejection of you. And so it's a double punch. It makes you angry, but it also makes you angry because now someone is rejecting you and you see it as rejection. So now you're infuriated. Why are they rejecting me? What did I do that's so bad? What was wrong with me of why they would hurt me and reject me? And that's where the anger, the root of it starts coming. So what's the result on this one? Because of the rejection we will feel, we're gonna tend to use our anger to protect ourselves from rejection and protect ourselves from misperceived threats. Therefore, the way we protect ourselves will be to withdraw, to emotionally disconnect, and to isolate ourselves from others. People will then interpret you as being aloof or disconnected. Now, one of the things that I see in counseling is the ladies will say to the guys, you are disconnected from me, okay? That's a typical response. You are disconnected from me. What she doesn't realize is the guy is disconnected because he's suffering with rejection issues and he's very angry with that and if he risks getting back in connection he risks the same pain he felt before and the rejection so he keeps his distance at arm's length and typically these guys will become loners they don't have any friends they stay away from relationships because they're afraid of the pain that they experienced in the past, okay? So anyway, as an example, yeah. They suffer with the idea of likability because they don't want to be liked. And so in a recent article, apparently, to improve public perception, Kamala Harris is taking likability lessons from Hillary Clinton. I wonder how that's going to work. Apparently, she's suffering with rejection issues. So she's going to go to Hillary for advice. Okay. So the result then is a man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. What is that desire? To not be hurt. He rages against all wise judgment. Wisdom would say, you need to connect to people because that's how you're built. That's how the body of Christ is built. But when you disengage because you're fearful of rejection and you don't want to feel any more pain, you're going against all wise judgment. 
And that's why a lot of guys are loners. They don't have any friends outside of their spouse and their kids, obviously. Uh, they have some relatives, but they don't, they're not connected to other guys. That's a problem. That is a major problem. So when, when I counsel those types of guys and I say, what's going on? How come we don't? Well, it comes down to, I don't want to be, I don't want to feel the pain anymore of being close to anybody. Ah, that comes from anger. What's the truth? People will sin against us. Obviously. Everyone has a sin nature. And so that means they're going to sin against us, Right? Therefore, expect people to sin against you. Don't have the expectation that no one's going to sin against you. You should expect people to, to, to make mistakes, to, um, to disappoint you, all those things. But here's what you've got to understand. What the scripture is saying, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, means this in the way you deal with relationships. It means when they sin against you, you must refrain from personalizing it as much as you can, okay? Now, they're gonna sin against you, but understand, these, these people who are sinning against you have us in nature. It's built into them. So at some degree, you can't personalize this 100%. You have to figure out what is you and what is the rest is depersonalized. So for instance, my parents uh, divorced at 11. As an 11-year-old, I don't know any of this. So what's the first thing I do? I personalize it. And how do I personalize it? I personalize it in the fact that my parents are sinning against me. I'm not using those words, but that's my perception. They're doing wrong against me. And I do not possess the ability to, to objectify this and say, no, this is their problem. They're not working themselves out in their marriage. This has nothing to do with me. I couldn't say that to myself. I just personalized it. And the way I personalized it, I said, there must be something wrong with me for my parents not to get along and eventually divorce. So I personalized it and I made the whole situation about me. Hence, anger will come out of that. Because you will not figure out what is it that you're lacking that your parents couldn't stay together for. And so you'll go on a search to figure out what you're lacking and you won't be able to find it. And so you will get very angry because you don't know the solution. You don't know why you're rejected and that's what you're perceiving. And so the root of anger starts growing in you. And I can tell you this, from junior high through high school through college, deep, deep down inside me was a deep-seated anger. Very deep. Now, let me explain this. And you know my background with baseball and everything, played all three sports and stuff in high school, and, and, and then played ball in college. I didn't play sports for the fun of it. It wasn't fun to me. I was there unleashing my anger on people. That's how I played. And it was my only way to get revenge for, for the rejection I felt. And so when I played, I played personally. It wasn't I could just take it or leave it. When I lost, it devastated me. When I won, 
I felt good. I pounded them into the ground. I was fueled by the energy of anger and it is very fueling. It is like gasoline on a fire. It is what makes you push through workouts. It's what makes you push through any obstacles because that was the ground in which I could have my revenge. Now, I don't know if you played sports like that, but I did. That's not normal. That's not healthy. But I've talked to plenty of athletes that played and they played with an anger. And the anger was either towards their father, towards their family, towards their siblings, towards their mother, or whatever. But you didn't have to express that in sports. You could express that in any other form of life, like getting involved in gangs, getting involved in things you shouldn't be getting involved in as a sense of this is how I will make it up. This is how I will get my revenge. And whatever, that you, whatever poison you picked, it's going to still have the same effect. I used to have guys tell me in college, and they were perplexed with me. They say, hey, man, when you're out on the field, you're like a different guy than you are in the dugout and just practicing and stuff. You like change out there. And, I'm, I, and I knew exactly what they were talking about. I was a savage, an absolute savage out there. Man, if, if people looked funny at me, I would spit at them from the mound, spit directly at them, look them right in the face and dare them to come into on the plate because I would brush them back as much as I could. And if you hit a dinger on me, the next time you're coming up, I'm gonna plunk you. There's no doubt about it. And that's just the way the ball rolls, man. Because I was playing with anger and it fueled me. And, and that's what you have to look at in your life is were you being fueled in the things you did by anger? Because man, that's, that's dangerous. That's, that, you're volatile. You're, you're easily to set off, man. Because I personalized it. I personalized what people were doing to me. And you think now, okay, you know, I'm, I'm 49 years old, for goodness sakes. I look back, the divorce of my parents had nothing to do with me. It's my parents. They, were, they couldn't get along and they just couldn't make things work and they divorced. It had nothing to do with me. I can say that as a 49-year-old. I couldn't say it at 11. I couldn't say, I couldn't afford the grace. I couldn't that. So what you have to do is you have to go back and reprocess that to get that stupid root out of you because it's still there. And you're gonna say, wait a second. That person is, was crazy. That person was on drugs. That person was drunk or whatever it is. That person has mental issues. See, when you, you factor in and depersonalize, hey, let's pretend they had mental illness. Well, then there's where the grace is. I can give grace to mental illness. I could give grace to stupidity. I could give grace to ignorance. Just didn't know what the, they were doing. What did Jesus say on the cross to the Roman soldiers? to the father father forgive them for they know what not what they do there's where the roman soldiers got grace he wasn't saying that about the religious leaders he was saying that about the roman soldiers crucifying him because they truly didn't know what they were doing so there's where you can afford grace to the person who hurt you 
they had their own issues. And if you delve deep enough, that person had issues that were unresolved from their past and they never got the help and they took their issues out on you. And that's how it goes. But it really was never about you, was it? It was about something else. The end of this, you have to learn to trust others and, and reconnect as a guy. This is why guys don't connect. They're afraid to get burned again and they just don't do it. So you, at some point, you have to take a risk. You have to find some healthy guys and you have to connect to them. And that's how you get healing from this. You have to find individuals that you truly can connect to. And usually that's sometimes not even your own family. Your own family usually is, is, is not where you're at spiritually. You will have to find other guys who are at your spiritual level to connect to because that's the level you need to connect at is the spiritual level. So that's what God's asking us to do to get healing from all of this. Anger also then comes from the perspective and feeling that we are a perpetual victim for people violating our rights whether they're real or perceived. So a lot of guys take a destructive path. The destructive path is, these people made a mess out of my life. What can I do? I'm ruined now. They've ruined my plans. And so I'm damaged goods. What's the point? And so they go to the path of destruction because what other path can they choose? They're damaged. And there's no point of even trying. You'll see this early on in kids in school when they simply don't do their work or they're getting straight Fs. Because why? The kid has surrendered. He has already had the message that he's a loser, that he uh, is a victim, and he can't get himself out of it. That's why they do that. So the school psychologists don't even know how to deal with that kid. What they do with that kid is say, well, he's allergic to homework. Don't give him any homework. That really happens, by the way, in one of our high schools unbelievable. So when you take on the persona of a victim, what happens? You will use your anger to make people feel guilty or indebted to you for oppressing you and making you that victim. You will flat out blame your parents. You will flat out blame a coach. You will flat out blame a teacher. You will flat out blame a pastor or whatever the the person who's in the crosshairs because you will play the victim and victims are always angry, always. Have you noticed our society, how angry the millennials and Gen Z is? It's because they've been perpetually told they're the victims and we've been all oppressing them. And so they're all, always, always mad and willing to go violent on things because of this. The other result that comes from this mentality is You become Captain Justice. Does it surprise you that we have social justice warriors today in the millennials and Gen Z? Because when you're a victim, you wanna wanna take on this persona that you're gonna right all the wrongs and save the world, like Greta Thunberg, okay? Right, and that's what happens. So then then people become hypervigilant about every situation they're in. So it doesn't matter where they're at. It could be in a grocery store. If someone cuts in front of them, they're going to write that wrong. If they don't get greeted at the church and someone does say hello, they're going to write that wrong. Guaranteed, because they're social justice warriors at that point. That's what victims do. That's how they portray. They complain about everything. They want everything to be right. 
And if they don't get the attention they want, they're going to complain about it. It's, 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 it's not a good thing, but it comes from anger. It's coming from anger. Now, here's what ends up happening to you. Okay? These are social justice warriors. Okay? The reason they become like this and they say, die, cis scum, is because they're angry. That guy or gal or whatever that is, I don't know what that is. I'm sorry. Deep down inside, they're angry. They're angry because they think they're a victim and they can't get out of their hole that they're, they're in, that whoever put them in it. And so this is what you start doing. It starts taking on physical appearances and this is what you do. You riot and break things and all this. Stuff. This is quintessential example of victimhood. This is what you do. No one in here wants to you know, end up like this and no one wants any degree of this. This is why it's, anger is so dangerous. What's the truth? We must determine whether the rights we think we're entitled to are from the Bible or if they are simply made up by us. Now, now let that sink in. Let me ask you this. According to the commandments of God, let's just use the Ten Commandments, okay? The Ten Commandments is where actually our founders got our freedom and rights from, right? the Bill of Rights and all that. It's all derived from the Ten Commandments, okay? Let me ask you this. Using that knowledge of the Ten Commandments, of what rights God gives you, okay? Right to, the right to life, right? Thou shall not murder. Right to personal property, thou shall not steal, right? Okay. A right to a wife and a spouse, thou shall not commit adultery. Okay, those are all rights given to you by God. Does it say in the Ten Commandments that you have a right for an ideal childhood? Thank you. I'm glad you know that because everybody out there doesn't. They believe they have a right to uh, 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 some type of lollipop childhood, some, some idealistic idea of what childhood should be, and everybody that got it stolen from them is now fighting to get their childhood back. You're not guaranteed a good childhood. Let me ask you this. In the Ten Commandments, does it guarantee you'll have a good marriage? No. It doesn't. The majority of people don't have good marriages, and they live like that. And that, that's, how they, that's how it is. That's reality. But if they want justice then they will pine for this idyllic marriage, right? And that's not a right given to you by God. Do you have a right that all your kids will turn out serving God? That's not a right. And people get mad at God. Well, I took them to Bible study. I took them to Awanas. I I made them do all of this. And then they, they turn their back on God. And they're like, and then they, and what do they do? They're angry and they're angry at God because I did what I was supposed to do. And yet here's what you're not understanding. That kid has a free will. You could have, you could have been raising Cain and you don't even know that. Right? And you did everything right. But because of free will, they chose. But you can't blame God for that, can you? No, because that's not a right that was given to you. How about a right to be a millionaire? 
I have a right to be rich. No, you're not going to find that. I have a right to be healthy. No, you don't have that. I have a right to all my kids are healthy. No, you don't have that right. You see what starts happening? Victims who are angry demand rights instead of being responsible for what they have. That's the difference between our culture and what's happening now versus what the Bible would say. Our culture is demanding their own rights that they make up a right to be transgender, a right to be to select my gender, a right to practice any sexual practice I want. That's in their minds. And they're not worried about the responsibility to society when you do those things and how, how devastating that is to society. They don't think like that. That's the difference. If they're biblical rights, let's say someone violated a biblical right. They harmed you physically, Okay. They abused you or whatever. You, know, it was, you had a biblical right and something happened. Someone stole your spouse in adultery, okay? Someone stole things from you. If they're biblical rights, then you need to understand how God handles the justice of the situation, not how you will handle the situation. See, when people really have these rights violated, the reason they can't forgive is because they want it back. They want the person to pay. And they will live to their dying day until they see that person get what they deserve. And that's why they don't forgive. They won't release the penalty phase because they want to see the penalty. The, 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 where the faith comes in and how to release that anger so you can forgive is to give the penalty over to God to handle the justice. But that takes faith. And it's hard because what you're going to do is you're going to hand that over to God and say, okay, my rights were violated, Father. I know I don't have a right to avenge myself because vengeance is yours. I give you that to avenge me and seek and get the justice out of the situation. But I can guarantee it's not going to be like what you think. And first, in fact, the first thing you will see is nothing will happen to the person. Nothing. And actually it will go on for a long, long time. And you're going to sit there waiting. Okay, when are you going to pound them? When are you going to pound them? When's the lightning bolt coming? When's, when's their life going to be shattered like they shattered mine? When are they going to experience the problems that they caused me? And you're going to sit there and you're going to wait and you're going to wait. And guess what? The longer you wait, if you're acting like that, you're going to get more resentful and angry at God because you don't like his justice. Now, what could be happening behind the scenes? Number one, the person could ask for forgiveness. So if they ask for forgiveness, then what, what happens at that point? Where's the justice at that? You, God, you're just going to let them get away with that? No, what you reap, you will sow. Or so what you sow, you will reap. And so that will come in their life in time. But that's the law of the harvest. And the law of the harvest is when you plant a seed, harvest is way over here. It, you have to let it grow. And so what God does in justice is... They might have planted that seed, but that, that harvest may not come for another 20 years or another 10 years or another 15 years because it's the law of the harvest. You, which, you uh, reap what you sow. The other thing too is if they ask for forgiveness, then Christ takes that penalty. That's where your justice is met. So if you don't like that, then you must not like the justice that God's given you. 
Because if he's forgiven all your sins, how dare you not forgive someone else's sins if they went to the Father and asked through Jesus Christ for forgiveness? You can't hold them accountable at that point. Again, God will take care of the reaping and sowing in them, but you have no right to hold that over them anymore if it's went to the cross. Now, let's say if they don't go to the cross, let's say they're an unbeliever, and they live their whole entire life, and you're like, dude, when are they going to pay for what they did to me? And then they die. And nothing happened to them in this life. So guess what? Where will the justice happen? It'll happen in the lake of fire. And that's what you have to be okay with. You have to be okay if they died without Christ and didn't get forgiven, that they have died, and then their punishment will be how severe their lake of fire will be based on what they did to you. Are you okay with that? Is that enough? It should be enough for you. Okay. Because the justice will be met, whether in this life or the next. It will be met, and he watches everything that people do. So no one gets away with anything, and you have to trust that, and you have to trust that the justice will happen in the future, not right now. And that's how you release it. Okay, I can let that go. God will take care of that. Because what is it? We have an injustice and I want it made right. And God's saying, I will make it right, but Brandon, you wait on me. Oh, okay. So it's a timing issue. Through God's permissive will, he allows people's rights to be violated due to the highest value of called love. And this is important in your theology. Why do bad things happen to you from other people? Because it's free will. Okay? In order to have true love, he must allow free will of humans. He must. And so the highest value is love, right? And so to order, in order to have a reciprocal love between his creatures and him, he must, in order to maintain love, true love, he must give humans free will. And again, what's the liability in free will? They'll rebel. They'll sin against other people. They'll sin against God. That's the liability in order to have the highest value, which is love. Hence, will you take a step back of all the junk that happened to you and you say, why, why, why is this happening to me? The theological answer is free will because of love. And you have to right now get that in your head theologically because when it hits you, you will respond emotionally. And God wants you to respond theologically and then your emotions can follow. But do not be led by your emotions because you're going to be led by anger. So you have to get this principle down. Bad things will happen to me because of other people's free will. And also, I will do bad things to other people because of my own free will. That's a a principle you have to get under. Okay. Talking about free will, new article came out. Calvin is overwhelmed by number of choices at Sizzler Buffet because there's just too many choices for the Calvinists. For the Calvinists, it's black and white, right? Yeah, boy. But here's what I want you to think about, guys. What I'm trying to get across, what the Bible's trying to get across to you is God's not ignoring what happened to you. He's not. But what he is saying is this, you're not a victim, I've made you a survivor. 
And it's a whole different mindset, right? You went through a lot of junk. You went through war and you came back, but you're here, you're alive. You're a survivor. The survivor mentality is different than a victim. That's what our society wants to make everybody. Don't go for that. You keep telling yourself, I'm a survivor. A survivor, the definition of survivor means you went through junk, but you came out and you made it. That's the mentality. And when you're a survivor, here's the thing, that anger will dissipate. When you're a victim, all you'll be is angry. Poor me, poor me, poor me. Survivor says, man, God got me through that. That was awesome. He gave me grace. And and look, I'm here. I might have scars, but I'm here. Ooh, that's different. That's a different mentality. Look at Paul, what he said. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned to whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I I know how to feel. I know what it's like when someone abuses me. Been there, done that, he says. So I know that. So even if someone is mean to me, I can still be content. Wow. I mean, he's beaten, put in jail, left for dead, shipwrecked, vipers are biting him. And he says, look, I know how to be abased. I know how to take it because I'm a warrior. I'm a survivor. And I've learned to be content even when I'm having the worst things thrown my way. Paul was called all kinds of things. He was, he, they challenged his apostleship. Even other believers challenged his apostleship. They said, he's not a real apostle. And he kept having, he kept having to prove that he really was. I know how to be a base. I know how to be a bound. I know how to do good in, in, when I have a lot of things. Everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and, need, and to, need, uh, to suffer need. Were you hungry growing up? Did you have needs growing up? I'm sure you did. You know, one of the things that happened, and I think I've told you this before, when my parents divorced, uh, what happens in that situation, and you know it, your livelihood drops because your parents' incomes are going both ways. So I went from middle class to poor. Okay? I went to poor because... Uh, everything split up, everything split up. And there's a loss of big time income, okay? And so I remember as a junior hire and stuff like that, man, it's not that I lacked food or anything, but there's just things I needed for school and I needed for high school and I needed for sports. And it was very difficult to get those things. Very difficult. If I wanted something new, man, I had to go earn money, you know, mow lawn or whatever it need to, to buy those things. Because it wasn't because they didn't, my dad wouldn't want, didn't want to give it to me. He did. He just couldn't afford it. There was camps I wanted to go to and all kinds of things. And I remember getting upset with my dad, but now looking hindsight, I understand what was happening. At the time, because I'm so crazy in my head, okay? So I'm a freshman at Delano High School, and I'm crazy. I'm crazy because I have this anger, and I want to accomplish something in sports. So this is how wacko I am. So I go through my first year uh, at high school at Delano and I go to my dad and I said, dad, I guarantee you, I am not going to be scouted at this school. And this is me talking to him as a freshman. I need to be somewhere where I'm more visible 
and there's scouts there because I want to go on beyond high school. This is a freshman talking. And so at the time, the powerhouse was Garces. At that time, this is like 1989, okay? I think the coach was Fanuki or something like that, long time ago. And, and I said, Dad, I got to go to Garces if I'm going to go beyond this. this. There's nothing here at Delano, man. And he goes, I can't afford Garces. Who, who's going to pay for you to go? And I'm like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, all right, man. That ticks me off um, that we can't afford that. And because in my mind, you're messing with my goals. You're messing with my dreams. And so I get irritated about that with my father. But looking back, he didn't have the money. My dad was a house painter. Didn't have the money. And I shouldn't have resented him. But again, you're talking about a freshman in high school, 14, doesn't know a hill of beans, but is driven by anger and driven by a lust for a position. I didn't know this passage. I didn't know how to be content in need. So what did it do when I had a need? I'm angry. I'm angry. And I vowed to myself, I'm going to make enough money when I'm older. I'm not going to have these needs if I wanted something, I'm going to go and buy it. Because I'm never going to be in a position like this to have no money and always want something. I can't get it. I can't get it because I, I don't have the money. It ticked me off. It made me angrier. And that's what anger does. Point number three. Anger stems from our plans for our lives being halted or changed, which causes insecurity. That's what happened with me and my dad. My plans are ruined now. I'm stuck in Delano. I want out. This is, this is no good. But what was it doing? When I had my plan, it gave me security. Because I had no security when my parents divorced. All that home life security vanished. And so I become a little boy that's insecure. So what's the first thing I'm going to do? I'm going to manufacture my own security. So that was me up on the butt, above, plan A, okay? But the reality is that's what happened, plan B. That's what happened. And, 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 and so you understand where the anger could come because if I'm deriving security from my plan and my plan gets derailed, or something happens, I'm ticked. I'm t- that would be the same thing if you chose a career and you went to school for that career and then you get into the career and you can't do it anymore um, for some reason. Let's say you went into being a doctor and you're a doctor and all of a sudden you develop arthritis in your hands and you can't perform surgeries anymore. All that career path has now stopped. And so guess what's gonna happen? Anger anger. You had a plan for your family, didn't you? Well, I'm going to get married to a nice gal. I'm going to raise good kids and we're going to have fun. And then it's the opposite. You married a test pilot for the broom factory and your kids all rebel against you. And you're like, I didn't buy into this. I didn't want this at all. Lord, why, why didn't you warn me about this? You could have told me. You could have spared all of this. And so the anger builds, the anger builds, the anger builds. 
I didn't want my life to go this way. Anger builds, anger builds. And so basically, in essence, like I said on here, people start getting in the way of your plans until you become angry with them. But it's your plans, isn't it? Oh. When you feel this way, like I did, you're going to use anger to control others, to scare people into submission, to manipulate others, and to overpower them to ensure that our plans don't get messed up. You will. You will. You will overpower people, and the way you will overpower them is through your anger. Because, like, dude, I need to mess with you, man. That dude's, that dude's hot, man. Like, that, that guy has a chip on his shoulder. He'll fight you in a second. But that actually is a tactic coming from anger to manipulate people into submission. That's what happens. Scary, isn't it? But that's what anger does. What's the truth? You must get to the point where you accept the providence of God in your life. That your, 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 your path to get here, even though this is, what, this is not what you chose, this is not what I chose. But it's his path. And it's his path for you. Because it was the best path for you. My path was screwed up. It was based on wrong motives, wrong goals, and it was based on anger and revenge and, and to prove myself to my parents, to prove I had value. That's totally wrong for any path you take. And so, of course, he stopped the path. And he's going to stop the path for you. So here's what you have to do. Looking back, you're like, I didn't want this. Well, here's the thing. Providence says this was necessary for you because it's the Joseph principle. They meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. That's the Joseph principle. That's, that's Romans 8, 28. All things work together for the good of those who call, are called and love him according to his purposes. You, hey, look, don't trash your past. Your past is what made you today through God's providence. You had to go through those things in order to develop the character that you now have. Otherwise, your character would not be where it's at. He knew the right path for you. That's why he derailed you. That's why he put you over here. Now, he did it with your own free will, but when we're talking about providence, we're not talking about him forcing you into places. We're talking about his invisible hand guiding your life to where it actually needs to go using your free will. That's the providence of God. We must submit then our plans, any future plans that you have to the Lord and let him bring it to fruition. I don't know what your plans are, you know, what do, what do you have in your head for the next five years? What do you have in your next head for the next 10 years? Here's what James says. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Ah, got it. I can make my plans, but I must submit my plans to the will of God and allow him to shape it in the direction he wants me 
to go. And I have to be okay with that and not get angry at him. That the, the turn to the right and the turn to the left is for me and my benefit spiritually. And so therefore, I am not to get angry. So if you understand that theological concept that God's working for the best for you, there's, you have no right to be angry. Oh. Four, and this is the last one I'm going to end on. Anger stems from someone attacking our performance identity. Here's the thing. If you have a performance identity like I did, when someone jeopardizes that front, when someone criticizes it, when someone attacks your performance identity, you will go livid. Why? Because that's your front. See, a performance identity hides a shame identity. What do you mean? Well, when people do bad things to you and you personalize it, you see that as rejection, okay? And like I told you, you will seek, why am I being rejected? Well, there must be something wrong with me. And you will fill in the gaps. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good looking enough. My dad thinks I'm dumb. Uh, I, I'm not athletic enough. Whatever, the, whatever you put in the blank, you will fill that in. And you will be ashamed of that. But it's a lie. It's really not you. It's something that you put in there. And so, man, I'm ashamed that I'm so dumb or that I'm not good looking. I'm ashamed of that. So what am I going to do to cover myself up? What fig leaf will I sow around me? That's what Adam and Eve did, right? And the fig leaf that you will sow, I want you to think about the fig leaf. It was a performance fig leaf because God didn't give it to them. They made it and created it, didn't they? So the fig leaf that they covered themselves with was a performance front. So you will perform for everybody so they don't see your shame and you become Superman in your performance. But what happens if someone criticizes your performance? Then that's when you go angry because you are attacking my front and I will never have anyone attack my front because if you destroy my front, then my shame is hiding back here and no one's gonna see that. So I will come after you like a sheep killing dog because you're, you're going after something that I'm trying to hide. And so hence, your wife could attack your performance identity. Your boss could attack your performance identity. Your clients could attack your performance identity. It doesn't matter who it is, they will attack it. But here's the thing, you shouldn't have a performance identity nor should you have a shame identity. You should have your identity in Christ. I mean, if you have your identity in Christ, it doesn't matter if someone attacks you, you don't care because you really know who you are. If your wife attacks you, you're, you're a bad husband. You don't do this and that. Again, that's performance. What are you in Christ? When these, these idiots call me names, the only way I can handle that without taking it personal is to depersonalize it, understand the, 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 the source that's Laodicea, right? And know who I really am in Christ. 
know what I'm really doing. That's the only thing that, that you can sustain. Otherwise, you couldn't handle it. As someone constantly criticizing you over and over and over again. It's a big deal. So the result, if you use your anger, then you will retaliate and seek revenge. We will also shame others for not helping us meet our performance goals. Guys who are like this make the worst bosses. They, they really do. They're a Christian and they're a boss and they're terrible because, man, if someone really messes up the goal setting of the boss, he goes livid. Now, it's one thing if you're a boss and people are not performing. I get that. But it's another thing if your goals are so high that no one can meet, your expectations are so high that no one can meet because they're not you, they don't have the same personality, then that's when they become a tyrant at work and they're impossible to work for. The truth, the main objective or goal in life is to become conformed to the image of the Messiah. We do not have an identity based on performance. It's based on who we are. Our value and significance comes from God, not performance. That's it. You have to get that truth into you to release the anger, okay? So let me show you this. I got more I'll give you next time. Let me get to the end here. Because there's a lot. Here we go. That was Luke Skywalker. There's an article about him. Uh, supply chain issues prevent teen farmer from picking up power converters at Tashi Station. <laughs> anyway, that, that was for another point. We'll get, we'll get to that next time. Look at this proverb. And, and this, I'm not even putting this in a modern translation. This is the New King James translation. And look what it says. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. You can't say it better than that. You can't. So what is, what is the Bible trying to say? Guys, get your anger in order. Find out the roots and dig at it because here's what your life is going to look like, okay? And I thought this is a good illustration. I see a lot of my life in that. It's been an uphill battle, hasn't it? It's been rough. I have a bunch of question marks that still things don't even make sense. I've got a lot of rain clouds, lightning, all kinds of stuff. Look at the path I took. Uh, but what is the ultimate goal? The ultimate goal is to get to that top of the peak where God wants me. And somehow, some way, he promises that he will complete the work he, he started in me. And I will finally get to that top. Now, the path is not going to be my path, but it's going to be a different way. But I got to be okay to go through life like this. Are you okay with your life looking like that? It's not going to be smooth. It's not going to be easy. If you can accept this, then what will happen is it will decrease your anger. You'll stop being angry and say, hey, you know what? I just got to roll with it, man. I just got to be flexible. Hey, if this happens, if, if the gas prices go 10 to $10, I got to be flexible with it. I don't like it, but I can't let it make me go crazy and ruin me, ruin my witness, because maybe I lash out and I take a, a, a hammer to the gas station and I start pounding at the gas station and destroying property. I don't know. I'm just putting that out there just to say your anger can take you to places you never thought you would go. That's how volatile anger is. So here's what you got to do. 
get you to your root, get you to the root of where it's at. I had to. I'm going to tell you this. Don't be like me. It took me an entire decade to work on my anger. An entire decade. And, 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 and it will always, always be a weakness in me. And so it's there. I know where it's at. And I know how, it, how I can get incited. But if I was going to be a pastor, I had to get control of this. Not that we're perfect, but this is a big deal, anger with guys. It's a big deal. So my admonition to you, start working on it, get it out of you, and be set free from it. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn tonight about anger and how we can have a righteous anger, but then a bad anger. We want to be the kind of believers that, that hate and and are angry at the things you hate and are angry about. Help us to be on that side. Help us to control our wrath, our anger, deep down these roots. Help, help us to get them out of us, Father. We need it in the days ahead because they're gonna push stuff on us, Father, that simply is going to incite us even more. And so we need help. We need your grace. We need your mercy. We pray that you would help us. In Jesus' name, amen.